Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are Wednesday downloads where my co-host Paul Bishop or I hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is New York Times bestselling author Steve Hawkinsmith. Steve Hawkinsmith's first novel, the mystery Western hybrid Homes on the Range, was a finalist for the Edgar, Seamus, and Anthony Awards. He's gone on to write five sequels so far, as well as the New York Times bestseller Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Dawn of the Dreadfuls, the tarot-themed mystery, The White Magic Five and Dime, and other books. He's also a widely published writer of short stories and mysteries for children. You can learn more about him and his work at stevehawkinsmith.com. And, as a special offer for Six Gun Justice podcast listeners, Steve is making the Kindle version of Dear Mr. Holmes, the Big Red, Old Red short story collection, free for a few days, starting at Amazon today. Hi, Steve. Thanks for reining in with us today. Well, hey there, Rich. It's, it's great to be here. I'll say, you know, having heard a lot about the Six Gun Justice uh, campfire, it's it's even bigger than I expected. It's more of a bon- raging bonfire. Uh, <laughs> so I'm feeling warm and toasty here beside it. Hey, that's great. You know, I'd like to talk Homes on the Range, the adventures of the Sherlock Holmes-loving Emling Mayer brothers. And I'm, you know, we just talked about this a little bit ago. I don't think I've heard too many people pronounce the last name of Big Red and Old Red, your characters. So I'll let you go ahead and do that. And uh, tell us how that started out. Well, yeah, before I, I go into sort of the origin story of the series, uh, yeah, I'll talk Amling Myers for a second. Uh, and that's that's how it's pronounced as Amling Meyer. But how the heck would anybody know it, unless they're me or unless they they know an Amling Meyer? And there aren't many Amling Meyers in the world. But the one Amling Meyer that I knew was Jody Amling Meyer, and she was uh, a little girl that I went to grade school with. And for whatever reason, her name always stuck in my head. And so years later, when I was uh, kicking around the idea of doing something that was feel sort of westernish, I wanted to make sure that my my cowboy characters had names that weren't Brown or White or Jones or Smith. Not that there's a darn thing wrong with any of those names. But having the name Hawkinsmith, not the most complicated name in the world, but the fact that it's more than two syllables long really throws some people off. So I've heard some really interesting variations on my name over the years. I don't know. I just I guess I wanted to give my cowboy protagonists the the same sort of kryptonite weakness that I have, which is people <laughs> always mangling my name. You know, and I guess I wanted to make them German too, um, because I, I'm of Germanic heritage if you go far enough back. Um, and it was important to me that my my cowboy characters have some form of discernible ethnic heritage that there's they come from somewhere that there's a history to their families because that's that's what i think of when i think of uh you know the pioneers it's like people who are coming from very far away and it's to me again as lovely as a name as smith can be if their names you know uh john and jake smith i don't think that tells you much about where they come from what their what their family might be whereas i don't know there's something about amling meyer and you you bump into a couple guys named Amling Meyer in uh, late 19th century West, 
And I think, I don't know, it just, it struck me as more evocative. Like it gives it more history. I didn't think about the fact that like, isn't it a problem that most people won't know how the heck to say the name of your hero? Like, mm, okay. Yeah. Maybe if, maybe if uh, I had known that in advance, I would have made them John and Jake Steele and it would have been uh, a very different history of the series. The series itself got started originally as a short story because I, I originally started off writing mysteries and I had had some success selling stories to Alfred Hitchcock and Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. And one of the ways I had found that success was by cheating, by writing for their theme issues. I had sold some Christmas stories and you know, because I know that both magazines do a Christmas issue every year. So the editors would be particularly on the lookout for Christmas stories. So doesn't it give you a leg up to give them what they want? Um, make it a little easier on yourself. And it turns out Ellery Queen does a Sherlock Holmes tribute issue every year. And I thought, well, couldn't I come up with a Sherlock Holmes thing? I've always loved Sherlock Holmes. But the thing I didn't want to do was pastiche. I didn't want to write a story about Sherlock Holmes in the style of Arthur Conan Doyle. I just was much more comfortable and excited about the idea of writing something of my own in the style of Steve Hawkinsmith. I was out for a hike with my lovely wife on Mount Tamalpais in Marin County, California. And when we go on hikes, I'm thinking about how to sell a story or uh, <laughs> what, what book I'm writing at the moment. And so I was thinking, thinking, thinking about Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, Hmm, hmm. But I, you know, when I do go out into nature like that, I, I do always find that my mind drifts to the past and who has been in this place before and what would it have been like, uh, you know, 100 or 200 or 300 years ago. And so I'm thinking about Sherlock Holmes, I'm thinking about the past, I'm thinking about trying to sell a story to Ellery Queen. And somehow it just occurred to me on that on that walk that, gosh, you know, the the original Sherlock Holmes stories were coming out when there were there were people out here in the West, you know, in the in the 1890s, when the West was still considered, you know, more or less, depending on when you want to call an into it, the quote unquote Wild West. And if there were people out in the Wild West when the Sherlock Holmes stories were coming out, well, what would people in the Old West have thought of the Sherlock Holmes stories? What would they have made of these things? And who in the Old West would be an interesting character to encounter one of these stories and have an interesting reaction to them. And of course, when you're thinking about the Old West and who would be a fun character to, to stumble across something like that, you got to think of cowboys. I mean, don't you? So what, what would cowboys make of Sherlock Holmes? Hmm. And, and pretty much that was the springboard right there was uh, what if cowboys stumbled across a Sherlock Holmes story and what would they do? And that was the first short story. Uh, it was called uh, Dear Mr. Holmes. And thank goodness, Ellery Queen bought it. And then I wrote some more stories about the guys, uh, the Amlingmeyer brothers after that, the two cowboys who stumble across the stories. And, you know, I just thought like, well, I've got these guys and people seem to like these short stories. I'll give it a shot. And that's what became Holmes on the Range. And the rest is history. I think that you uh, you nailed it on the on that first story. You know, one of the things that has impressed me so much, and I've read all the stories and all the all the books. The thing that has impressed me so much, Steve, about your work is that from that first story on, you you've got those two characters so well imagined. And uh, I, I need to recommend these to any of our listeners who haven't uh, who haven't picked up the Homes on the Range books. Or the uh, the ebooks that, that Steve has available, they're really wonderful. And again, there are short stories and there are novels. So, which uh, which do you enjoy writing more, short story or or novel? Well, you know, before I answer that, I'll say thank you. That just makes a writer happy to hear stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and and I do say, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's always been really great with those two guys, those two characters, Big Red and Old Red, the brothers. They they immediately felt very alive in my head, and and I 
did not need to struggle to figure out who they were uh, or, or what they would do. But, you know, in terms of short stories versus novels, yeah, I've been, I feel like I've been pretty lucky in that I've, I've sold a lot over the years. So I, I've got the ability to go back and forth. The thing that I really love about short stories is the freedom that you have with them. It's less of a commitment of time. So right there, that frees you up quite a bit. Like you're just not making the same sort of commitment to a, to a massive undertaking the way you are with a novel. And the market is a little broader, even though there's there's not a huge short story market anymore. But there are still there's still you know some very important markets out there. It's, uh, for me, you know, mostly uh, Elric Queen and Alfred Hitchcock. But within those two magazines, there's a lot of range. There's a lot of different kinds of stories you can tell and a lot of different styles you can tell them in and you can really experiment a lot and you can just kind of take a wacky idea and run with it which which is harder to do with a novel a to pull it off over that length but b than to try to sell the thing so you know short stories i really appreciate for that freedom but i i will say that both as a reader and a writer for whatever reason what gets me excited what gets me really excited are novels and that's just always been it for me that like as a kid you know you get, I and I know that you and Paul feel the same way there's those moments that you had as a kid when you discovered the the paperbacks on the spinner rack and the sense of adventure of opening that thing and seeing you know reading that first page and knowing that you're going on some sort of journey i don't know there's nothing like it i just i get so excited about going into that world and it is still the same thing for me as a writer like that that i look forward to the opportunity to have a little time to do some short stories and experiment but it's thinking about novels and telling stories in that format that gets me really jazzed. So you and I have talked about this a little bit. Are you a mystery writer who works in the Western genre or a Western writer who works in the mystery genre? Oh, that is an excellent question. And it's funny because once upon a time, my answer would have been very clear. And that would be when I first started writing the Holmes and the Range novels, I would have told you I am a writer of historical mysteries who just happens to be writing historical mysteries that are set in the Old West. But it was partially a marketing concern that when that series first started, there was some concern that, God forbid, people would mistake them for Westerns. <laughs> and this was seen as a, as a potential problem because, unfortunately, some people really don't like Westerns. I, th this might come as a shock to you, but there are people who actually will tell you that they hate them. And a lot of that I've learned over the years is because of baggage that the genre accrued over the years, particularly when it was so incredibly popular. But I do think, you know, there, there's a certain reader who has not the best impression of the genre. So that was something that I was aware of at the time and was afraid of running afoul of as, as a, a newly minted author. Also, at that time, you know, this my first novel came out in 2006, and I was fond of the genre at that time. My dad was a huge fan of Westerns. You know, I can remember growing up him watching all of the old B-Westerns. They used to show on the PBS station on Sunday afternoons. He had seen them all as a kid. Those experiences to him were, were super important. One of my grandfathers as well was a, was a big, big fan of the old B-Westerns. So, you know, I was fond of them, and I but I hadn't read much in the genre. I read a little bit as I got ready, ready to, to write the first novel, more than I had in, in the previous, you know, 30-something years. And I liked Liked them, but you know, it still wasn't something that I had really embraced. And it wasn't actually until after the series ended, after uh, originally after the fifth book, that was when my contracts with uh, St. Martin's Minotaur ran out. 
it was only after that that I, for whatever reason, started reading more westerns and watching more westerns. I loved them. I just started eating them up, and it's it was just so kind of kind of galling to me. I was galled at myself that like. Oh, I was writing a, a pseudo Western series and I didn't lean into it as hard as I should have because I love this stuff. But what you going to do? That's life. You know, sometimes the timing just doesn't work out. But that's one of the reasons I always wanted to return to the series after that, because it's just like, oh, my God, I had the perfect vehicle. I had the perfect springboard to jump into this genre that I love. And so, the, yeah, that's why, you know, the, the sixth book I did, uh, the AA Western uh, Detective Agency, I just did that on my own to just scratch this itch of I just got to do this some more. And in that one, I really leaned into the Westernness of it more. It is still very much a, a mystery of and I, I prefer to do them as uh, what they call fair play mysteries, where, you know, it's, it's the old school, like there's clues and you can figure it out, you know, and it's sort of this game you can play along with the characters of trying to solve the mystery and then getting it all revealed at the end. So it is still all of that, but it is Western-y. And boy, I had a great time writing it. I've always thought of your books as you know, living proof of what I consider the big tent that uh, that Western fiction can offer to the world and to our culture. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big tent Western guy. I like to read all sorts of things. You and I, past correspondents, have mentioned Little Big Man. It's a picaresque novel and movie with Dustin Hoffman based on the novel. What is it about that book that, that you like? Because I know that's a Western. You know, a lot of Western fans don't necessarily like, or it's a Western movie. A lot of Western uh, movie fans don't necessarily like, but it does have its following. I wondered if you'd say a few words about it. Yeah, no, I am definitely among the following when it comes to both the film and the book. And I'll say it's the, it's the perfect illustration of what you were just saying, because I think it's absolutely correct to look at the Western as a big tent. And, and the bigger, the better. Because, you know, when I was talking earlier about some of those readers who assume that they don't like Westerns or would not like something that you could call a Western, they're not looking at the big tent. They're looking at the little bitty tent. They don't see a big big top circus tent the way we do we're like no 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 the western can be there's so much that you can you can come on inside and you're going to be surprised at what you find they they assume oh it's a little bitty tent and i know exactly what's in there so the more that you can show people that the 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 genre is more flexible and broad than they thought it was, the better, I think, the more people you're going to bring to it. Now, Little Big Man, I can see why it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I love it dearly. And it's one of those things where it's, I can sort of talk about why I love it so much. And part of it is also just like, well, I saw it on TV at the right age as a kid. And, and so therefore, sort of all bets are off. But I'll also say, I just saw it again recently. I still love it. I still think it's a fantastic movie. It does so much. And it does so much that people might assume a Western might not do. The film and the book both share something that I think was actually hugely impactful on me uh, as a writer in that when I think about that film, the thing that I that just immediately comes back to me is Dustin Hoffman's voice, the narrator, Jack Crabb, and the sound of his voice as he's telling his story. That voice of that old, old man telling this story, elements of which, you know, may or may not be true, that when I picked up the book in the early 90s, this is a this is a Western novel I read before I made, I, I read many Western novels, and I loved it. And I loved it because that voice is, is 100% right out of the book. It's right there on the page, or at least for me, it was maybe primed by the fact that I'd seen the movie. So I start reading and it's like, and I hear that voice in my head. And that's, 
And my favorite writer as a kid, as a teenager, somebody who got me just like super fired up about novels and about storytelling was Kurt Vonnegut. And when you think about Kurt Vonnegut and you think about Westerns, you might think there is zero possibility of overlap. And yet, in many ways, Little Big Man is sort of kind of the book that Kurt Vonnegut might have written if he'd written a Western novel. It's in that Vonnegut way. It is both a little absurd and very funny, but very, very real and sad. And to me, that's, I love that. That's something that can blend those two things, comedy and tragedy. That's, that just, I don't know, that's a sweet spot for me that uh, if you can pull that off, you've done the hat trick and uh, kudos. You know, this, this was written by a white guy, obviously, in the, in the early 1960s. Um, and yet when you read it and when you watch that film, the thing that comes across to me anyway about the Native American characters is that they're characters. They are not tropes. They are individuals. And with sort of kooky personalities, because people have kooky personalities or they have, they're individuals, they're idiosyncratic. And you meet a lot of really interesting idiosyncratic Native American characters, which I don't think you could say, sorry, of, of much of the Western genre, certainly up to that point. And so moving forward, we're all trying to kind of figure out how to write different groups. It just think like, well, that's a great one to keep in mind. They're not a group. They're not even a plot device. They're, they're people. They're individuals. And that's how you write them. So I don't know. To me, there's just like there's so much to, to pull out of Little Big Man and so much inspiration there. And I again, I get why some people don't like it, but I love it. It, it is one of those movies or books, even that uh, when you when you go back to it again, you know, you find something new every time. At least when I watch it, I, I see something new. As you just mentioned, the you know the different characters. Every every single character in that movie has so many subtle uh, nuances that you might not pick up on the first time through. And it's a really interesting work that I've always wanted to revisit. I agree. I agree with everything. Uh, I especially like uh, your comparison with Vonnegut because I hadn't really thought about that. But you know, uh, is Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, is that a war novel? Well, it, it, of course it is. It, it mm -hmm. has to be a war novel. And yet, uh, you know, there's there's all the uh, science fiction. And Vonnegut was one of my high school loves as well. Yeah, I was really lucky in that, you know, at just the right age, I stumbled into the Vonnegut shelf in my high school library. And, you know, they had like five or six of his novels and might have been Breakfast of Champions I read first, which in hindsight yeah. is a weird read first. Yeah, but well, that, was, on, I was, that was mine yeah. too. Okay. And like, you know, for a, a 15 year old, actually, that's going to be, that might be pretty dynamite. Yeah. You know, just it's so unlike anything you've ever read for school before. That's for sure. So did you always want to be a writer when you were young? I did and I didn't. You know, I always wrote. I always like created my own comic books and my own little funny magazines and always started books and plays that I didn't finish. But, I, you know, it was just sort of a general impulse to be creative in general. Over the years, I sort of figured out what I did and didn't do well, which was more a process of figuring out what I didn't do well. I, my own comic books were terrible because I was doing the art. And I'm awful. I, I can't draw at all. My, my stick figures, uh, you can't even recognize that they're human beings. Um, then uh, I, I thought for a while, maybe I'd try music. I love music. And I had a lot of friends who are musicians and in bands and stuff. And that was very appealing at a certain age. And, you know, gave it a try for several years. And I stunk. Um, love music, can't play it. Um, so, you know, once you, you realize like, well, I, you know, art, no. Uh, music rejected. Okay, well, what's left? And just like, maybe by process of elimination, just 
writing was the thing that I always did well, that was always still kind of there as something to turn to. And I always had been a reader, of course. So it's like, well, okay, I'll give this a go. I'd also flirted for a brief moment in my, in my twenties with the idea of, you know, moving to LA and trying to get into the business but, you know, just the the tales I heard of the industry and what I knew of Los Angeles made it pretty spectacularly unappealing. So, you know, once once you throw all those things out the window, what's left? Well, you can always write, right? Nobody can stop you from writing a short story or a book, right? It's just all about you sitting down and, and, and making yourself do it. So starting in my mid-20s, I, I got serious about trying to do it. You know, I discovered one more thing that I don't do well, which is write science fiction, because that's what I started off to write at first. Uh, I had read a ton of science fiction uh, as a teenager and just thought like, well, I've read so much. I must be able to write it, right? Wrong. No, I was I was not good at it. I never cracked it. But then I got really lucky in that, you know, loving use uh, bookstores the way I do. I was uh, roaming around one in Chicago where I lived at the time. I passed the mystery section. And look over and see some some good deals because I'm also, in addition to being a reader, I'm very, very cheap. And I saw an edition of The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. And it was probably like two bucks or something like that. And I thought like, okay, I've heard of this. I like the movie. I'd seen the movie, loved it. Like, okay, I'll give this a shot. What, what the heck for two bucks? And that changed everything. Sentence number one, the voice. The voice just gets you right away. There's somebody talking to you and you hear them. And it's a human being and you, you can relate to them and see the world through their eyes right away. And the guy's uh, smart and funny and he's got an interesting story to tell you. And it's like, what is not to love about that? In hindsight, I think, you know, really great science fiction is all about really interesting ideas. And it turned out that what I, I think I'm good at and what I respond to are um, interesting and fun people. And that's, that, I don't think of that when I think of science fiction. I'm sure there are, there's a lot of uh, literary science fiction that is, that is loaded with interesting characters. And, uh, and uh, so I don't want to be uh, too broad, but I feel like when something is set in, quote unquote, the real world, like let's say Los Angeles in the 1930s or the West of the late 19th century, you're, you're grounded in a way that... I think just gives those characters a big leg up in terms of relatability. Like right away, you're, you're going to find something in common if the writing is good with these characters. And that's going to just suck you in. And that's also just, I don't know, it keeps the stories grounded in a way that it turns out as a storyteller, I really appreciate. Readers can get a taste of your newest venture in the Western genre with the short story Hired Guns, Mules Gold in the upcoming Six Gun Justice podcast anthology uh, later this summer. Now, this story is an excerpt or early piece from a longer work. Can you tell us a little bit about where your work is going and what we can expect from you in the future? I'm super excited because Hired Guns, Mule's Gold was the first chapter of a, of a novel that I was kind of kicking around for a pretty long time. And then I went and wrote the dang thing and it's done. And and I sent it off to my agent and some some readers and the readers loved it. And it turns out I just heard back from my agent yesterday and he loves it. So I'm 
I'm stoked, as they say. <laughs> like I I wrote a western, you know, and and again the the last Holmes in the Range novel was was pretty much a western, but it's a western mystery. But I I really wanted to finally just get around to writing a western western, and this is a western western, and the fact that people like it is tremendously exciting. I mean, it's all, it was all, uh, tremendously exciting that I liked it. But uh, you know how it goes. Like you can you can love something and and be very lonely yes. <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> but so yeah, it's been great to hear that like other people love it, and I don't have to do that much to it before we can take it out and see what editors might love it. And so yeah, I am like super super hopeful that before the end of the summer, this book is going to be going out to the folks you would send such a book to, and that one of them will love it. So yeah, you know, maybe ask me again in the fall. I'm just so excited to have written not just a western western, but the the kind of western that I had been itching to write for a long time. That's really terrific. The uh, short story will be available within a few weeks of this broadcast. So uh, we will push it and uh, get get that into the hands of uh, of Western readers right away. I'm excited too. That sounds really great. Steve, I'd like to wrap up our conversation by pointing listeners again to your website at www.stevehawkinsmith.com. And uh, I assume also that you're available on uh, some social media platforms I'm on Facebook. I maybe hot Steve Hawkins with nine. I might be eight or <laughs> makes me sound like a robot or something, but um, I, I'm one of the Steve Hawkins Smiths on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, so I'm fairly easy to find. And I'm uh, at Mr. Hawkins Smith on Twitter, even though I'm not, I could say like, I'm not Mr. Hawkins Smith. That's my dad, but uh, <laughs> Steve Hawkins Smith was taken. So I'm, I'm Mr. Hawkins Smith on Twitter. Thanks for being here, Steve. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six-Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.